Matthew chapter 7. And while you're turning to Matthew chapter 7, I do want to say, because this is not something I hardly will ever, ever, ever uh, get a chance to say because I'm, I'm a pastor in ministry. But it is really uh, an honor and a privilege for me today uh, to be able to celebrate Mother's Day with my own mom uh, here in the service. So, mom, um, it's good to have you and uh, my stepdad, Julian. Uh, they've been married for 35, 37, 38, 45, 60 years, whatever. <laughs> Uh, and, and some of you, you may remember, not, it wasn't long after we got here last year uh, during the summer uh, that my mom was in really, really critical condition. Uh, and she was in ICU, uh, really borderline for, what, eight, nine, ten days in ICU. And so God, you, I ask you to pray. Uh, God answered prayer, and uh, mom has, has recovered incredibly well, and uh, it's just good to have my mother with me on Mother's Day. So, all right. So... Let's talk about our sermon series, the start of something big, which we began on Easter Sunday. And we have a cabin, a house on our platform because we're using this as sort of a, an image and a, a, a touchstone, an illustration of what Easter was really all about. Easter was not the end as so many people think, well, okay, I know the story of Jesus. I heard at Christmas he got born and then I heard at Easter that he died and then he rose again. So that's the whole story. No, 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 no. Easter was the start of something big, something huge. And so we're using this cabin as a way to help us understand what Easter was really all about. We've circled in, a, in our title screen here, this family room, because God's plan, his vision is to build a family to share eternity with forever. Now, it started out in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and that was great until Adam and Eve blew it. They messed it up, and it all went downhill from there. So in other words, for God to now accomplish his vision, there had to be something a little different. We had to be able to pay for it. So a lot of times we think everybody has a vision about something they'd like to have, something they'd like to do, something they'd like to go. And for most of us, all of us almost all have an image of a dream home in our mind, this place that we want to live in forever. And so you have this vision in your mind of what you think that you'd like that to be. Once you have a vision, you got to figure out, can I pay for this? You pull out your wallet and you start pulling out the calculator and you start adding up all the dollars and cents. You go to the bank. Can I get a loan for this? Can I make this work? Because if you can't pay for it, there's no sense in trying to do it. And Jesus said, you should always count the cost, right? Count the cost before you start. Know that you can, know that you can pay for it. So when you have a vision, you decide, can I fund this? And if you know that you can pay for it, that it can be paid for, then you begin to put plans together, what it's going to look like, what it's going to include. And once you finish with that step, then you begin to break ground. You begin to actually build this thing. That's, that's the process that we go through when we're talking about our dream home. We, we have a vision, a, an idea in our mind of what this thing will be. We find out whether or not we can pay for it. Once we pay for it, we go make plans with an architect and that, those plans start to give some, some concreteness, some, some hard reality to, to this vision. And then we start to break ground so that we can actually begin to build. 
So we've talked about in the, in the process of this series that God's vision is to build a family, to enjoy forever. But because of sin, there was a price that had to be paid. That price was a perfect sacrifice. And the only one who could do that was Jesus. So that's what Easter was all about. Jesus died on the cross to fund, to pay for God's vision. And then the plans that come together start to put a picture together for what that looks like. God works out through the church. The church is supposed to become kind of like the architect that starts to let the world see what his vision is. And then we sort of play the role of the contractor. We break the ground. We do the work. We do the the hard physical things that start to display God's vision to the world. So today, we take that to the next step. After you've broken ground, what happens after that is you lay a foundation And then you build a framework on top of that foundation. So we're going to start with the foundation. So before we do that, would you join me in prayer? Father, as we discuss this incredibly beautiful, powerful vision that you have for eternity and for us, God, I pray that you'll open up your word to us today, that you'll speak to us exactly what we need to hear, that God will be inspired by it, will be captivated by it, will be challenged by it. And God, if we have to be convicted by it, then Lord, convict us. Do whatever it takes this morning to mold us into your image, to accomplish your work in the world, and to share your vision in the world around us. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, so you go through all these things, you break ground, and the first thing you do is you start to lay a foundation. So with that being said, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7 We're going to look at verse 24 through 27. Jesus is speaking in this passage, and he says, Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came. The winds blew. They beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So this is from Jesus' most well-known sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and and he's getting to the very tail end of this message, the Sermon on the Mount, and he wraps it up by by giving two options to everyone who was listening. And by the way, let me make a point that the fact that Jesus gives two options to everyone who's listening needs to be a reminder to us here this morning that every one of us are individually responsible for what we do with the message of Jesus. So nobody else can can make decisions about Jesus for us. Your parents can't make decisions about Jesus for you. Your kids can't make decisions about Jesus for you. Your brothers and sisters, your friends, nobody can make decisions about Jesus for you. You are individually 
and personally responsible for what you do with the message of Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying every one of you are responsible for what you have just heard from me. And he basically says, all right, here's the, here's the two things. Each one of you, you have a choice. You can build on one of two foundations. And the first foundation he compared to a rock and the second foundation he compared to sand. Now, in light of our conversation and our series, and we're talking about this process of building a home and, the, and we broke ground and we're gonna build a foundation, choosing what foundation to build on is huge because the foundation determines whether our structure, and in this case our house, whether our structure can withstand the elements of life. The foundation will determine whether this structure that we are building can take a beating, whether it can take the storms of life, whether it can take the things that come against us from all sort of directions when we don't even expect them. Will that foundation support and withstand all of those things? And so Jesus said, well, if you build on the rock, well, that's, that's wise. Or you can choose to not build on the rock, and that's stupid, that's really foolish, that's like building on sand. And he said, the one that's built on sand, it ain't gonna last, it's going to crash. And it's not just gonna be a little crash, it's gonna be a big one. Great was its fall. That's what Jesus said. And he compared the rock, which he advised everyone to build on, not only to the teachings of Jesus that everybody had just heard, but that rock also actually represents Jesus himself. Check out this passage of scripture. The rest of these this morning will be on the screen for you. You can turn to them if you like, but I'm gonna have the rest of them on the screen for you. All right, John chapter one. We're gonna look at two verses in John chapter one. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So in Matthew, we're instructed to, to build our lives on Jesus and his teaching. John here tells us, coming right out of the chute in his gospel, that Jesus is the word and the word is Jesus. And so the word is still left with us in written form and we call that the Bible. Now the Bible is not only the eyewitness testimony of people who saw and witnessed the life and the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus, it is that, but it is also God's love letter to all of humanity, to every one of us here this morning, that starts all the way back in the Garden of Eden, how Jesus came to visit his creation, how he came to visit Adam and Eve. Why? Because he loved them. And when Adam and Eve busted the whole mess up because they brought sin into the world, they disobeyed God, God was not okay with that. It wasn't like, well, pfft, that's too bad for them. Let's just start over. 
Everything from the early chapters of Genesis all the way to the end tell us about God's love for us. So we see an eyewitness account of Jesus who paid the price for our sin and the rest of it we see that this is God's love letter to us proclaiming his vision and inviting us to be a participant in his vision with him. That's what salvation is all about. See, salvation is accepting the payment that was made on the cross for the sin which we have committed, but we cannot pay for. And through that salvation, God allows us to be adopted into his family so that when we walk over here to the door to go into the home that God has prepared forever, we can walk in because we're part of the family. And so we build a life, once we've come to Jesus Christ through salvation, the Bible is telling us in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John that we start to build a life, a foundation for living on this word. This becomes our foundation. And it not only is the foundation for the vision that God is building, it's the foundation for the life that we live that prepares us for that vision. Amen? This Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Paul says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, because for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul says, we're building this thing. We're building this vision that, that God has invited us into. You're building a life based on that vision. And it all starts with Jesus Christ. It starts with the word of God. And he says, nothing else will work. Nothing else will work. Verse 11, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You want to try to build your life on anything else other than Jesus and the word of God, guess what's going to happen? It's going to crash and burn. So let's connect these dots, these three passages of scripture that we've already looked at here. So in Matthew, Jesus tells us that we got to get the foundation right. Right? You can, you can build on the rock, you can build on the sand. You got to get the foundation right. Paul tells us in that passage in Corinthians that if we want to build a worthwhile foundation, that it has to start with Jesus. John tells us in the Gospel of John chapter 1 that the Word is Jesus and Jesus is the Word. So it is massively, massively critical that we get this thing about the foundation right and what we build on and making sure that we're building a foundation of the right material and that is the Word of God. The word of God. Because Jesus said anything else is going to wash out. But let's check out what the Bible says about the word of God itself. All right? So I'm going to put three verses on the screen for you all together at once. These are all in the book of Psalms. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to point out the highlights there. The words that are slightly in yellow and, and bold a little larger. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is Perfect. Psalm 33, 4, the word of the Lord is right. 
Psalm 119, 160, the entirety of your word is, what's the next word? Truth. The entirety of your word is truth. You know what? You know what God is telling us through these passages of scripture about this word, this foundation, that it's perfect. We have a Bible that is perfect. I a foundation that we can build on without worrying, without wondering, without doubting whether or not we can make it uh, work out right because the Bible tells us through the inspired uh, of the Holy Spirit that this is perfect. Now, if I don't know how many of you are builders, or how many of you have been through the building process, but just imagine that if you're building something, do you... Do you want the instructions for what you're building to be 100% right, or are you okay with maybe 60% right? I mean, if you're gonna build something that really matters to you, are you okay with instructions that are maybe 60% right? I mean, you, you want them to be right, right, right? Everybody follow that? <laughs> You want 100% accuracy. Why? Because you're building something that matters to you. Is there anything that matters more than your eternity and the life that you build in light of that eternity? Anything? And if, if we don't want anything that we're building to be less than 100% perfect and reliable, then why in the world would we entrust our lives and stake our lives on anything other than the one thing that is 100% reliable, and that is the Word of God? Let's look at a couple of other verses from Isaiah. Isaiah 34, 16. Search from the book of the Lord and read. Not one of these shall fail. And in chapter 40, verse 8, we read, The word of our God stands forever. You know what, you know what Isaiah is, is saying to us in these two verses? Is that the word of God, this, this foundation that we're building on, it's enduring and it's reliable. It's enduring and it's reliable. He says, uh, that the word of God stands forever. And in verse 16, search from the book of the Lord and read not one of these shall fail. You know what he's saying? He's saying that everything that God says in this book that you have read so far that maybe has not come to pass yet, you watch, you wait, because it will come to pass. Not one thing that God has said will actually fail to, to wind up becoming true. It is enduring and it is reliable. Now, let's go back to the idea of that we're building. All right, so you're gonna build a house. And maybe you don't really, maybe you're not a great contractor, maybe you're not a great builder like I'm not, but you're, you're gonna give it a shot, right? You'll give it the old college try. And you go down to the lumber yard or you go down to Lowe's or Home Depot or Menards or wherever, and you buy the building materials that you need to go home and build this house. And you say, okay, uh, how long uh, is, uh, is this going to last? Now, you're, you're building a house, right? This is the place that you want to live in for the rest of your life. And he goes, well, I don't know, two months maybe? You want to you build your house for, that you're going to spend the rest of your life in in something that might last two months? Not a chance. 
You want something that's going to last for the next 40 or 50 years. Or, or what, about, what about the reliability? What about the warranty and the endurance? You know, you, you, you get warranty on all this stuff, right? Because if it goes bad, you know, you can take it back and they're going to fix it. So what if, what if you're buying something that you need in this house that's supposed to last the rest of your life? And you say, well, what's the warranty on this thing? Well, I'd say it's about 60 seconds. You get off the lot, if, if, it hadn't, if, it's, if it hadn't gone bad yet, and you get off the lot, it's yours. You ain't coming back with it. But if it goes bad before you get off the lot, you can turn around, come back in the door, and we'll replace it. Anybody want to buy that, that warranty? The 60-second warranty that lasts until you get off the parking lot? Anybody ever felt like you bought one of those products? <laughs> they don't tell you that before you buy it. You find out after the fact. Ah! It's terrible. And it makes you so mad. Why? Because when you buy something, you want to know that it's going to endure, that it's reliable, and the people who made it will stand behind it. And God is telling us through Isaiah that this, this foundation that we're building on, it is reliable and it is enduring, and God is going to stand behind his word. And whatever he says will come to pass. Then a couple of verses in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 24, verses 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Look at the bottom one there, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, you know why I want to show you those things? Because Isaiah, Isaiah back in the Old Testament, way back when, said the word of God is enduring and it's reliable. And then here's Jesus in Matthew saying, yep, I agree with Isaiah. And then here's Peter, many, many years later, going, yep, I agree with Isaiah. What he said is absolutely true. You can take it to the bank. So, you know, sometimes we look at stuff in the Old Testament. Well, that's Old Testament. Does that really count? We live by the New Testament. Well, you know what? Matthew, I mean, uh, Jesus in Matthew and Peter in 1 Peter, you're going, you know what, that guy back there, Matthew, uh, Isaiah, back in that, in that scroll that he wrote, everything he said is absolutely dead on true. Word of God is enduring and it's reliable. Then 2 Timothy, Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know what he's saying? It's good sourcing. It's good sourcing. You can count on where it came from. Now, you know what? I've read, I've read some good books in my time, books that I really, really enjoyed, uh, and it was a good read. But what I want to stake my whole life and my eternity on a book that I enjoyed reading, but I don't know if that source can be counted on to be perfect in everything that he says and every opinion that he shares, do I wanna stake my life and eternity on that? Not a chance. When, when, if, if any of you have ever gone to a foreign country and, and you teenagers are about to do this, and I don't know what the deal is in Puerto Rico, uh, but I've, I've been in Taiwan and uh, I've been in Mexico and some of you have, have been to a few of those places as well. And, and there are some countries you go to and they say, don't drink water unless it comes out of a bottle. Why do they tell you that? 
because you don't know what the source is for that thing coming out of the tap, right? Looks like water. Maybe it tastes like water. Now, I've tasted some water that don't taste like water. That's some nasty stuff. <clears throat> but it might look like water, it might taste like water, but you don't really know the source. And while you may think this thing's going to give me life, it's going to give me sustainment and nourishment, it might have something in it that's actually going to kill you. The source of what you are taking in matters. The source of what you are trusting matters. And Paul says in Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The source for everything we have in here is God himself. That's why we can, we can build a reliable foundation on that. And then one more passage of scripture on this from Isaiah chapter 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. See, way, way, way back in Isaiah, because God is perfect and because everything that God says will come to pass, Isaiah was able to look all the way up to that cross and say, God is going to lay a foundation. He's going to lay a cornerstone that we can all build on, and that's Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. The beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. This word is God in, the fl in, in printed form, and we can build a life on him, and we can share God's vision with others by sharing his word. It's not Oprah. It's not Ellen. It's not the Duck Dynasty boys. And it's not even a political party that we can point others to and say, this is what you build on. We point them to the word of God because it is the one and only thing that's gonna do the job. Why in the world would we invest our time and effort working and trusting things that will not last when we have a foundation available to us that can withstand everything? Why would we trust anything else when we have the one thing that God says will stand everything? And ladies, here on Mother's Day, whether you're a mom or not, can I just urge you on this Mother's Day, that you make a mental commitment today to not only build your life on the foundation of the word of God, but you start drilling this into your children. You share this with your family. You pray and you ask God to let this be the foundation, not only for your life, but the life of your family and your children. This is the only thing that will last. Can I tell you, I love sports. Grew up playing them all, love sports, love watching sports, still love playing sports. But can I tell you this, that mom and dad, if you're here this morning and it's Mother's Day, so I'm going to mostly address mom, it is not your, your gym coach teacher that's going to be the one that you turn to when the wheels of the bus start falling off with your son or your daughter. 
It's not going to be the baseball coach that you turn to when the wheels of the bus start falling off in the life of your son or your daughter. You know where you're going to turn? You're going to turn to your church and your pastor and your youth pastor and the word of God. That's where you're going to turn. So don't, don't waste your time trying to build a life on that other stuff. Enjoy it. Enjoy it for what it is, but don't ever let it take the place or take priority over the word of God as the foundation for your life. Amen? Amen. Ever. And if we have such a precious, valuable resource in the word of God, which we do, then why don't we invest more time in this? Isn't it crazy? How much time we'll invest in all sorts of things and how little time we'll invest in the one thing that will weather all the storms of life. If this is important as it is, and it is, then this morning I challenge you. Ask God to give you the, the, the strength to invest more time in that. So once you have a foundation, once you've built this foundation that's going to stand the test of time, then you can start to build a framework on the house. And, it, and as you build the framework, here's what the framework does. The, the framework gives you a, a, a space for a door for entry and exit right, to, to this house that you built. It, it provides a, a space for, for windows and light. It gives you walls and it gives you a roof. The, the, the framework of, of the house that's built on the foundation supports all of those things. Now let's think about that for a second. Okay, so the doors, the doors give you entry and exit. They give you access into this house that matters. The walls give you protection, give you shelter, safety from what's outside of those walls. The windows give light that you can enjoy inside the house and, and the roof gives you protection from, from the elements, from, from what's out there in the world. So what has God provided us that helps give us uh, access, that helps give us light, that helps give us safety and protection. It's prayer. God has designed prayer in such a way to give us all of those things and more. Now, when we start talking about prayer, people get a little weird because prayer for a lot of people, they, I don't, I don't know if you heard this growing up. I assume that the many of you did because this is the way it used to work. Uh, brother so-and-so, will you pray for us this morning? Our heavenly God, Father, we speaketh to thou this morning that we truly are thou most humbly unworthy. Like, what the world did that guy just say? I have no idea what he said. And you go, I can't pray like that. You're right, you can't pray like that because most of the time it doesn't make any sense. And so you know what happens to most people when it comes to prayer? They don't pray. Because you've heard somebody pray like that, you go, I can't do that. You know what prayer is in its simplest form? It is talking to God. That's it. Prayer in its simplest, most elemental form is talking to God. It's a conversation that you have with the one who, who spent every dime of, of his uh, personal and human existence thinking about you and paying for you to be included in the family of God. Nobody, your wife, your mom, your dad, nobody in your life will ever love you like Jesus did. 
So why shouldn't we have conversations with him? It is just talking to God. And some of the greatest examples of talking to God are found in the Psalms because the psalmist talk to God all the time. The Psalms are basically prayers. And so it probably won't surprise you that as we talk about the framework of prayer, we're going to have several verses from Psalms that we're going to reference. So let's talk about these several different elements, entry and exit, entry and exit. You ever dealt with a closed door that was closed to you, locked to you that you couldn't get in? You ever, you ever had that happen? You see a door and you're like, man, I'd love to go in that door. But you walk over there and it says no entry or it's locked. You ever had a door you wanted to go in, you couldn't, it just kind of made you mad? I have. You just get a little ticked off because, man, I just, I just want to go in there. But you can't. Why? It ain't your room. It ain't your place. It ain't your space. You were not meant to be in that room, and so that room is not available to you. Most of you would not be surprised if you walked up to the White House today. It doesn't matter who's president. You just walked up to the White House. You go, I'm just going to walk in. Guess what? No, you ain't. You ain't just walking in. Why? It ain't your house. You ain't supposed to be there without an invitation. You might want to. You might think it would be cool, but you ain't going to do it. If you try, we'll come visit you in jail. But because of prayer, because of prayer, God himself invites us to just walk right through the door into the very presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because of prayer. Look, look what the, the, the Bible says there in Hebrews. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. How do you get to the throne of grace? Through prayer. Come boldly to the throne. You don't, have to, you don't have to tiptoe up to that thing and be afraid that somebody's gonna knock you down or shoot you or arrest you. You try to do that anywhere else, you're fair game. But God said, come boldly before the throne of grace through prayer. And then Psalm 121, verse 8, the Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in. Prayer is one of the most amazing things because it allows us at any given moment of time without hesitation, without having to sneak in or sneak up, to walk up, walk right through the door, and walk right into the throne room of God Almighty. And he says, come boldly. And then he says, I'll preserve your going out and your coming in. In, out, in, out, in, out. Because of prayer. Because of prayer. And then, then we talk about safety. Those walls give us safety from, from what's, what's on the other side of those walls. And listen, the truth is the world's a dangerous place. And we all have, need a safe place to go. In Psalm 16, 1, the psalmist said, keep me safe. Psalm 57, 1, halfway through the verse, for in you I take refuge. Keep me safe. In you I take refuge. Safety is such a, I mean, college campuses, man, we got to have safe spaces now. And safe spaces because I can't stand to hear what somebody else is saying. I, I mean, I think that's a little bit extreme 
But there is this sense in the world that we need a safe place. And can I just tell you, if you try to walk with Jesus, take it to the bank. The devil is coming for you with both barrels blazing. As long as you're just a a passive Christian and you really don't try to make a difference in the world around you, he doesn't care. You know, the world is full of of, uh, non-Christian Christians. Do you know that? Christian in name only. But you start trying to live for for the Lord and let the world around you know that, take it to the bank, you're going to need a place of safety. Because sometimes the devil is going to come at you with everything he's got and then some. And to be able, as the psalmist says, keep me safe, for in you I take refuge. Through prayer, we can get to that safe place with the Lord where we can quiet everything else on the outside and say, God, I'm with you and I need you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. He gives safety when we need to rest and recover. And we have windows. We have windows in this framework. And those windows let light in. Light allows us to sort of navigate the world around us to see what's going on and how we can move through that wisely. Let me show you a few verses about this. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. This is Solomon speaking. And he says, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. Uh, Listen, have you ever felt like things in life that you're dealing with just make absolutely no sense at all? If you've ever felt like that, raise your hand. Like the world just makes no sense. You know why you feel that way? Because it makes no sense. The world makes no sense. There will come a world in eternity come where it will always make sense. You know why? Because there will be no hidden motives, no ulterior agendas, no sin staining the choices that people make. Everything will be done in righteousness and in love, and you won't have to worry. It won't be confusing. It'll all be clear and plain. Praise God for that day. But we ain't in that day. That's why the world seems so confusing. And so we need to pray like Solomon, Lord, give me understanding. Why? Because light is also an acronym, or not an acronym, but a synonym for understanding. When we have light about something, we have wisdom, we have knowledge, we understand it. So Solomon said, Lord, give your servant an understanding heart. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Proverbs 2.6, why do you ask of God? Because it's the Lord who gives wisdom. You ask God for wisdom because it's God who gives it. Colossians 2, verse 2b and 3, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the wisdom and knowledge you need to navigate life, you know where it's at? It's all hidden in the Father and in Christ. Every bit that you need, every bit that you need, it's all found in the Father and in Christ. And we're told to boldly come there and then simply say, Lord, I need wisdom. Give your servant an understanding heart. Through prayer, we have access to the treasure trove of knowledge and understanding so that we can navigate this world wisely 
according to God's direction and not ours. This is not on the screen, but Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the path of life. You know how he shows us the path of life? When we pray and we say, Lord, show me. Give me wisdom. Give me knowledge. Give me understanding. Show me how I need to go. Last one on this, I'm going to ask the worship team to come to the platform, is protection and shelter. The roof gives us protection. It gives us shelter. Um, You'll hear a lot of times the idea, seek shelter, seek shelter, seek shelter, right, when the environment is potentially dangerous. Now, Leslie and I went down to Branson, uh, not this week, but the week before, uh, for a few days to get away. And uh, we had, uh, I mean, I forget where we went, but we'd we'd been mostly around town, but we'd gone to Top of the Rock, the guy that owns Bass Pro Shops, uh, Johnny Morris, and beautiful place down there. And uh, there's a chapel that uh, we wanted to go in. It's a beautiful chapel. We wanted to see the inside, but it doesn't open until 5 o'clock. So we bebopped around town, and we drove back out there at 5, or it was about 4.30, actually, so that we could go out and, and go see, uh, go see the, the chapel. We walked into uh, what was a clubhouse because uh, there's a golf course there, but the clubhouse sort of manages everything that's in that area. And we walked in, and the guy that was... I, the head pro or whatever at the clubhouse goes, everybody to the basement, there's a tornado warning. Seek shelter. So, like a wise man, I said, how long is that going to last? To which he responded very kindly, I don't know, ask God. Literally. And then once again, with full wisdom, I said, hmm, well, we don't have to stay here. We'll drive back to the hotel. So we did, because that's wise. <laughs> there are some things you should just not listen to your pastor about. <clears throat> that's probably one of them. But when there's potentially dangerous elements, you're told to seek shelter. In Probably the most famous prayer in the world, the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And don't lead us into temptation. You know why? The elements become dangerous. God, don't, don't, don't move me in the direction of temptation where the elements of life become dangerous. Deliver us from evil. The Lord's prayer. Prayer. We need need shelter from a potentially dangerous environment. Prayer. Psalm 32, 7. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. As we partner with God to accomplish his vision in the world, we build on a firm foundation of the word of God. We we raise up a framework of prayer that allows us access into and out of the throne room of God, that gives us safety from the world around us, from the slings and arrows of the devil, from 
from, that gives us light to navigate the uncertain world that we live in and shelter from the storms of life. As we join God in doing those things, we, begin, we become strengthened and we start to display God's vision for eternity to the world around us. So this morning, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know, are, are you really investing in this as the foundation of your life? Because I know a lot of Christians that, and they've said yes to Jesus, but this, this is a passing thought on many days. I know a lot of Christians that um, prayer, prayer works, we believe it, but then do we do it? No, because we don't think we can pray. Prayer is just talking to the one who loves you more than anybody else in your life ever will. Maybe you need this morning to invest more, ask God to give you more uh, determination to build on this foundation and to raise a framework of prayer around your life. Some of you here this morning, if you walked up to the door of heaven and you knocked and you said, I want in, and Jesus said, why would I let you in? You wouldn't have a good answer because you were good. You did more good than bad. You showed up to church. You put some money in the offering plate once in a while. You know people who are a lot worse than you. None of those are the answer. There's only one answer that opens that door. And that's receiving what Jesus did on the cross. That's the only payment that opens that door. And then as it does, then prayer gives you access back and forth. You might need to open that door for the first time this morning and say yes to Jesus. Whatever your, your need is this morning, God is ready to meet you. He's ready to say, let's do this. Let's do this. So would you all stand? Father, as we pray and we sing, I pray that each person here will move according to how your Holy Spirit has, has urged them to do. God, if someone needs salvation this morning, let it be. Lord, if someone needs to build on a, on a better foundation, to build more of a framework of prayer in their life, let it be. God, let us come and act on what we say we believe in Jesus' name. Amen.